entrepreneur so I'm born that brew. You are now listening to the Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Adam McChesney. Let's grow! Welcome to the Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Adam McChesney, and I want to thank you for being here today. If you're listening, please be sure to subscribe to the show and leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. We would love for you to share this on social media by tagging me and our guests, and this way we can get this content out to more people. Today, we have another great episode lined up for you. My guest and I have only met virtually on Facebook and had a series of conversations back and forth over the last few months. I love consuming his content because he's real, raw, and authentic in everything that he does. He is someone that you will absolutely want to make sure that you follow after today's episode. My guest today is Eric Oberet. He is the president of DNM Roofing Sighting, VP and co-founder of Roofers in Recovery and podcast host at Be Authentic or GTFO podcast. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a hell of an introduction, sir. I pride myself on doing some research and making sure that I'm all good to go as a podcast host, so I uh, boy. appreciate boy. That was good. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming on the episode. Really excited to have you on here today, and we like to get started on the Entrepreneur <laughs> Podcast with just getting to know you a little bit better. So if you can give us just kind of a brief rough rundown on who you are, kind of your entrepreneurial journey, where it started, where you're at today, and everything in between. Yeah, man. Well, thanks again for having me. I appreciate it. Um, again, name's Eric Oberemt. Uh, so I, my entrepreneurial journey, uh, among the other journeys that I've been on in my life, um, started when I was pretty young. Um, my, my parents got divorced when I was seven and I moved in with my grandparents. And so my grandpa actually kind of, you know, became my dad at that point. And my grandpa owned DNM roofing, uh, started our company back in 1965. And by the time I was 10, uh, I started getting up and helping out on the roofs. I started learning at a very young age what work was, uh, getting up early and going to bed late, you know. Um, so I was up there helping, you know, I was doing flat roofs, flat hot tar and gravel roofs, um, doing plastic cement around pipes when I was 10. Uh, by the time I was 12 or 13, I remember he gave me an ax and told me to go chop some shit up. Like that was literally just my job. Mm. Um, by the time I was 16, I started selling and estimating. So as soon as I had a driver's license, uh, he gave me a yellow pad of paper with some names and addresses on it. And he goes, go sell that. He's like, you've been watching me long enough. And so I did. Um, when I was about 18, he dropped me off in a little town in Iowa somewhere and said, don't come home until you sell something. I was like, Oh, well that seems crazy. And I did. And it was funny. My first sale in that little town, I knocked a door on an insurance agent's uh, place of business and ended up selling him a small commercial roof. Wow. So uh, funny that now I'm in, you know, insurance restoration work, which we weren't back then. Like I didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Uh, so in the early two thousands, we were still primarily a commercial uh, roofing company, but just a mom and pop shop. It was me and my grandpa and my grandma answered the phones and did the books. Like, I mean, it was, it was the three of us. That was it. And I even was still putting on roofs, right? I was still running crews and, you know, we'd have two or three in-house guys and, and we put these medium sized uh, commercial roofs on. In the early two thousands, we got hit in Omaha where I used to live. Uh, we got hit with, uh, we started getting hit with hail more often. And we accidentally sold a couple of residential jobs. 
and we had found a really good sub crew that came on and worked for us. And I was like, Hmm, this is easier than me getting up on roofs and busting my ass <laughs> and actually putting the roof on. I was like, do you care if I just go do this, like go sell more of these and we have these guys do it. It's like, I don't give a shit. Like bring the money in. Like, you know, I don't care what you do. Mm. Like, all right. I'm like, that is way easier than me having to get up there with a hot mop and, you know, shovel gravel. So I started selling residential at that point and we kind of transitioned the company. We're kind of an anomaly because we went from a commercial roofing company to primarily a residential roofing company. Um, did that for probably about 10 years and, and grew it a little bit, but kind of always uh, hamstrung a little bit because, you know, grandpa's old. And it was still technically his business. He had given me half of it, but kind of, in name and paper only. Right. Mm. Um, I didn't really have access to be able to, to do anything. Um, I was able to grow it, but very, very slowly. Um, he didn't believe in bringing outside people in to sell. Like he was just very old school. He had a job, not a business. Mm. Right. We talk about that a lot. Mm -hmm. And grandpa passed away in 2015. I took over and uh, bought the rest of the company from my grandma. And I decided that I, this sounds bad, but I decided that I could not stand dealing with homeowners anymore. Mm. And I really wanted to get back into that commercial space because that was kind of where I thrived. I love dealing with business owners, people that can make rational decisions and, you know, ROI decisions, not emotional decisions on, you know, what the color of the roof is. <laughs> so I made a transition and I just started hiring people. Um, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Um, I had no, you know, formal training in that. I went to college, I quit cause I couldn't find a parking spot. Like that's a whole other story. <laughs> but I, I, I decided to grow the company. I started hiring people and I split the company up into divisions. So I had a residential division cause that still keeps the lights on and then a commercial division, uh, so that I could focus on that with some other people in that department. Mm. And so fast forward that turned into Omaha office, self-sustaining, have amazing leadership there. And last year we decided to move, uh, my family, uh, my wife and my daughter and I, and we uprooted after living in Nebraska for 43 years and made the move to Texas, moved down just North of Houston and had no intention of opening up a company down here, opening up a branch. And about three, four months after living here, I had too many people ask me to open up a branch. And so I said, well, fuck it. Guess we're opening up a branch. So we opened up a branch. I'm here in my new office in Magnolia. And uh, we've, we've already scaled to about 10 employees here um, at the, at the Texas location and things are running smooth. And um, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited again about, you know, kind of not that I'm starting over. Right. But yeah. like just opening that new location and being able to be here and build the culture and everything. And it's been a lot of fun. So yeah. that's where we are today. No, that's amazing. And I, and I love the story going from like literally when you were 10 years old all the way on up and just seeing the the progression of being in the company and, and taking it to where it's at today. I actually have family. My dad's from Omaha. My brother lives in Omaha. Where he, that's, oh, where really? that's where he's getting married. So, um, yeah, my my sister went to the University of Nebraska. So, uh, oh, so yeah, so did I. Okay, yeah. So a lot of a uh, lot of great stuff there, and and uh, nice. don't get up there enough. But really cool. Well, um, as we kind of transition, you know, obviously we we now kind of have a little bit of backstory on on where you started, kind of where you're at today, where you're headed. Give us some key ingredients on over your journey and throughout your business. What of three things have made you successful thus far? 
So one I would say is learning the work ethic at a young age, right? Mm. Um, I remember very vividly when I was a senior in high school and I was always working, right? So like, even if I was in school, I would work on the weekends, uh, helping out on the cruise. And then in the summer I would run cruise and sell and do all that kind of stuff. And I remember very vividly when I was a senior, you know, when you're a senior, you always have your big senior party at the end of the year, being in Nebraska, it was out in some fucking field somewhere, <laughs> right. Where there's a bonfire and, you know, people just getting drunk and passing out in a field somewhere. Right. Yeah. And I, I remember going to my grandpa and saying, Hey, Grant, you know, tonight is our senior party. Um, I just want to let you know, like, I'm going to go to that. I'm probably going to pass out there. I'm probably going to stay there. And he's like, he looked at me and he goes, well, you know, you got to go to work tomorrow. I was like, yeah, no, like, that's what I'm saying. Like, can I not go to work tomorrow? Cause like, I've got this senior party and he's like, yeah. So like you, you committed to go to work tomorrow. You have work tomorrow. So like, if you can go do that and be there at six o'clock, I don't give a shit what you do, but you got to be at work tomorrow at six. And I was like, fuck. <laughs> I was like, I did make a commitment to do that. I was like, okay, well, there's no chance in hell that I'm going to be able to go to this party and still get up and go to work at six. guess I'm not going to party. Mm. And I literally didn't go to my senior party, my senior year, because I had to work the next day. And it sounds like such a trivial one day thing, but it was, it was very impactful to me. Um, in how I operated moving forward. Mm. Right. Um, it's, it's now maybe an unrealistic expe- expectation, but like I have that same expectation of all the people that work with me now. Right. Mm. Like if I like, I don't give a shit what you do, but you got to be somewhere at seven. Yeah. Right. So figure out how the hell you're going to be there mm. at seven. Right. So that, that was the, that was one big thing when I was young. Um, but the other thing, and, and I know you know a little bit about my story, but I, I got sober when I was 30 and I was a, for lack of a better explanation, I was a fucking train wreck. Um, I was all over the place. I was divorced twice uh, by the time I was 30. Um, at that point, I kind of gave up on everything. I started doing a lot of drugs. I started selling drugs. Um, I got my fourth offense DUI, uh, landing me in jail. Uh, I was looking at one to five years in prison at the time. Um, I narrowly dodged drug charges cause I had a lot of cocaine on me and somehow they didn't find that. That's a whole nother story. Uh, and, and that would have put me to 10 to 15 years in prison if they would have found that. Um, I ended up getting sober at 30 and everything changed, right? Everything changed. And I was able to kind of refocus my life. I was able to refocus what I was doing, what was important, um, how I wanted to grow the company and be part of, you know, something that my grandpa started at that time, you know, 40 years prior. Right. Um, and I wanted to be able to continue that legacy. And I knew that I couldn't do that if I was still drinking and using, right? Because I was going to end up in jail or I was going to end up dead. One of the two, like those were the two, those were the two options. Um, and so that was a big pivotal moment in my life that set me in that direction of, of growing on the personal level and on the business level. 
And then the third thing was when I got involved in helping other people in recovery, right? So that's the, that's the whole roofers and recovery thing. Um, and we started that and I, fi- and I figured out that yes, the business is important. Yes. Your family is obviously the most important, but you know what else is important is helping other people that have went through some of the same shit that you have went through. Um, and when I put those three pieces together, it gave me this opportunity and this ability to do even more. Um, and that's that, that again, that's kind of where I'm sitting sitting now. And I think that that is why people are attracted to come work for us as well um, is because we're real, right? We're real. We give back. We care about our community. We care about our people. We care about things other than money because we know the money will come if we care about the right things. Mm. Yeah, I know. I love that last line. The money will come when you care about the right things, giving back, providing value, being real and authentic. I mean, it's uh, unfortunately in today's society, it's what, whether it was COVID or whether it was years before that people have kind of went away from some of that stuff because they've been able to hide, right? They've been able to, to, to put on a mask of, of somebody that they're currently not. So I, I love that aspect of it. And I love what you're doing and I've been following your content on social media for a while now and, and a huge fan. So talk to us um, as we kind of transition here about like some of the big ups and downs throughout your entrepreneurial journey, uh, like the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows. You might've touched on some of those already, but just some key things that have been super, super successful, had you on top of the world and some things that you just weren't expecting and kind of came along your way. Yeah. I mean, you know, as far as like business successes, like those are boring. Nobody really gives a shit. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, we had, it kind of leads into, to where I fell off, Mm. um, and thought it was going to be the end for a minute. You know, we had a couple of really good years uh, back in Omaha before we moved down here and put a little bit of scratch together. And I had gotten this opportunity to buy a roofing company in Florida. Mm. And I got pretty excited about it. I was like, this guy was kind of going under. He, He fucked up his finances and had liens and stuff that he couldn't get cleared away. And was like, hey, come down here and buy me out so we get these liens paid off you know, I'll keep the license if this, you know, happens and you know, as well as I do, like getting a license in Florida is pretty difficult. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was before hurricane season. So I was like, Ooh, this is perfect timing. Mike and I understand the insurance game. This guy understood production, which I didn't know production in Florida. So I was like, perfect. I'll keep you on. I'll pay you a salary and you run production and I'll handle training guys in the insurance restoration side, like, cause he didn't know that world, which is wild to me that people work in Florida and don't know the insurance restoration world, but he didn't. So I went down there, met with him a couple of times and made the mistake of moving too fast, uh, made the mistake of not doing my due diligence, um, as thorough as I needed to turned out he was a fucking con man and took me for half a million dollars. Wow. And for some people, half a million dollars is not much money. Half a million dollars is a shitload of money for me. (laughs) Right. Like I leveraged, I leveraged my house. I, you know, like I did all kinds of stuff to be able to make this work. Um, I found out that he was selling jobs, stealing deposits, not building the jobs, not depositing money in the account, not dropping it off at the office. And I was down there, like I was down there three, four times a month, right? Like I wasn't like absent. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, but he was just really good at, at hiding shit. And it turned out he sold a lot of money. I kept investing into the business to keep it rolling. Cause like I saw the next thing coming and I'm like, no, we're good. We're good. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you got to know when to pull the ripcord. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the biggest lesson that I learned that hopefully other people can get from that. Um, is that when you make a decision, when you have to make a decision to move on, it doesn't mean that you failed. Right. It just means, and we all know we've all read the Maxwell books, you know, blah, blah, blah. But like, you know, you have to fail to learn, but this was a very expensive lesson. Right. But it could have been a lot more expensive Mm. because I found out he had another half a million dollars in debt that was in his name and the business name. Mm. And I was able to get out and get my name off of the company uh, before that attached to me. And so I was able to find a place. It was a little later than I would have liked, but I was able to find a place to pull the ripcord before it completely buried me and my entire company. So sometimes you do have to know when to get out, right? Sometimes you have to know when it's just not going to work and you need to pivot. That's a big, big word that I use in my business with all of my employees is pivot. Like if this isn't working, we got to pivot. We got to keep thinking of new things. Um, and if it's not like, you got to know when to go. And so I did. And here was the amazing thing, man. I went back to Omaha hat in hand to my staff. And I told them transparently exactly what happened, exactly how I fucked up, exactly the amount of money that I spent out of my own personal pocket and out of the business. And I said, I need your guys' help. We need to have a big year so that we can get back to square and back to even and continue pushing forward. And everybody in that office stood up and went, we got you. Mm. And that was when I knew that the things that I was implementing into the company and the culture that I was putting together was correct. Right. And that was why I ended up crafting the, the, the presentation of the speech that I gave at RoofCon and D2DCon about utilizing this team method and everything, because I didn't realize that I was doing those things at the time, um, but I was. And so um, that, that was definitely my biggest drop from my biggest win, if that mm. makes sense. Yeah, no, that uh, makes complete sense. And I love how, you know, you, you mentioned that you probably didn't realize at the time the impact that you were making in the culture that you were building. And it was just second nature. And it was one of those things that when you came back and when you needed them the most, they were there every step of the way. But as entrepreneurs, a lot of times we'll get shiny object syndrome, figuring out what that next quickest thing is. And I always say that the line of, and I've been in bad partnerships before uh, and screwed out of not that much money, but enough money at the time where it impacted me. If if it's too yeah. good to be true, it's probably too good to be true. And so I think a lot of times people are like, oh, there's going to be a silver lining in there. We can go do it. But I've learned the greatest lessons from those issues as well. No different than you. Yep, absolutely. Like if you don't, and not only do you learn the lesson, right? But then what do you do next? Mm-hmm. Do you actually take action, action to implement something differently to change what it is that you're doing? Because just knowing it doesn't mean shit, mm-hmm. right? Just knowing 
and quote unquote learning. Learning means actually implementing something after the fact. So did you do that? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, did the people listening do that? Yeah, no, definitely. That taking action part is where most people fail to actually move, yep. move forward from that. So I know we talked about a couple lessons, um, but if you were to give a lesson to an entrepreneur that's just getting started today, that would save them years worth of mistakes, what would that lesson be? Stop watching the big flashy voices on social media that are doing a hundred million dollars in two years. Just stop. They're an anomaly. There's shit going on in the background that you probably don't know about. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're somebody that's really a, a, a true startup, you know, guy or gal, um, you probably don't have access, access to private equity money. Mm-hmm. You probably don't have access to, you know what I mean? Like these type of investors that are giving these people the opportunity. Now, if you do, great, like good for you. Like let's fucking go ham. Right. But, but most people, most people do not. And so what I, what I did, and and again, I'm not the be all end all of anything. Right. But what, what I found worked was um, slow to medium intentional growth, right? Figure out this is the, okay. Biggest lesson that I talk to everybody about is when you hire, right? Right now, as a solopreneur, which a lot of these people are, right? They're doing everything. They're wearing every fucking hat in the business. They're doing the accounting. They're doing the production. They're doing the sales. They're doing the phone calls. They're doing, they're doing it all, right? So what you have to do is you have to literally sit down and write down every single thing that you do during the day. And then write down a number next to that that corresponds with whether you like to do it or you don't like to do it. And then if you're good at it or not good at it, and then which ones give you energy and which ones suck energy from you, right? Mm -hmm. And then you hire off of that and make your first hire, if you don't have any hires, make your first hire the thing that you hate to do and sucks energy, right? And Mm -hmm. get somebody to do that, right? You You can afford... 50,000 a year, right? Like that's all I can afford is 50,000 a year. Perfect. Get that person to do that so that you can go focus on if you love sales or you love training or whatever it is so that you can focus on that because now you can double down and focus on that and double your sales. Mm -hmm. Oh shit. Now you got another 50,000. Okay. Well now go hire somebody to do this off of your list. Start taking away those things slowly. I mean, quickly, if you quadruple your sales, right? Great. But don't put yourself under by thinking that you, that you're going to, you're a failure if you're not matching up to some of these people that you see on Instagram and Facebook and everything else. Right. Because you don't really know what they're doing. Right. All you know is that they came out and did 50 million in their third year. Well, okay. How did they actually do that? Right they probably didn't do it the way that you did it as a mom and pop shop yeah. trying to figure out how to scratch 20,000 together. Yeah. 
No. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a great lesson and even a better exercise to go through to figure out what you need to hire for. The other thing I see a lot of people to talk about is they're like, Oh, I, I, that's an expense to go hire out that person. What you don't realize is the expense that it's taking on you as an entrepreneur, both personally and professionally to do that task and what it's holding you back from, as you mentioned, if you love sales to be able to go do double, triple, quadruple what you're doing, it's an expense, you know, but it's an investment to be able to go double down on what you actually enjoy doing. If you see your employees as an expense and not an asset, you're an idiot and you're never going to succeed. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That's a fact. I'm sorry for the people like, no, it's a fucking expense. If you're listening to this and you don't think your employees are an asset and they're only an expense, you're an idiot. You need to change your mindset because you will fail in business. Absolutely. Yeah, no, couldn't agree with that more. So the last thing we'll talk about here today is kind of distribution within the beer brewing process, taking the beer to market and selling it. So in the entrepreneurial or the entrepreneur journey, we like to talk about what's next. So what's next for you, Eric? What's next for your companies? And I know you mentioned some exciting things so far, but tell us a little bit more about what you have going on. Yeah. So obviously what's next for me now is this new office. Um, I, I, I've kind of put a timeline on this that I want to be involved in it for about two years. Um, two years about the max, like it took me about five to build Omaha to be kind of self-sustaining where I didn't have to be there and, you know, day to day. And I can just have, you know, a few meetings a week and check in and help lead, you know, the people that I want to and fly back a couple of times. Um, I got about a two year timeline on this office that I want to get it to the self, uh, same self-sustaining place. And then while I'm doing that, I've really become passionate about again, helping others and speaking on stages and being able to teach, um, and help other people start to implement some of the things that I've done. Um, I am in no way trying to be one of the big flashy fucking gurus that you see on social media with the, you know, <laughs> giant, you know, personalities and the flashy fucking pants and the bullshit, right? Like I'm Eric, like that's not my game. Um, I just, I genuinely enjoy giving back. Um, I don't charge for any of that stuff that I do. Um, at some point I'll have to charge, you know, to go on stage just cause my time is worth something. Mm -hmm. But I, but I thoroughly enjoy, I thoroughly enjoy talking about, you know, trust, empathy, authenticity, and giving meaning to your people. I truly enjoy having those, having those conversations and getting to leave and meet somebody and be like, man, I went back to my office and I implemented this thing that you talked about and it completely changed our culture, mm. right? Like that is, that is rewarding to me. So on my list of shit, I like to do right. Like that is now at the top of my list. Yeah. Right. And so I'm trying to delegate all of those other things so that I can focus on that. Mm. Um, because that gives me, that gives me, that, that fills my tank mm -hmm. as they say. Right. And so I want to continue doing that. Um, you know, as far as business goes, I mean, I talk about business and obviously like I can't do any of these other things unless my business is running well. So at the end of the day, the, the, the other thing that I really enjoy doing and that I want to continue pushing further is really making me these meaningful connections inside of my company with the people. Because when I do that, they are the ones that then grow and scale the business, mm -hmm. right? It's not even me at that point. It's, it's these people that are, that are, that are part of it. You know, I mean, I never thought 
10, 15 years ago that I'd be running two offices, 1500 miles apart from each other with, you know, 20, 30 employees, um, which isn't a big deal to some people watching, right? They're like, fuck, I got 300 salespeople. Like, Great. But like, it's a big deal, right? I mean, I've got shitloads of overhead. I got a lot of salaries. I've got, you know, like I've got all these things. Um, but it's not about that. It's about, I've now got this little micro world that I get to impact on a daily basis. I get to impact that micro world. And then I can take those lessons from it to be able to go out as much as I travel and, you know, and speak and do all the things that I do and, and get to utilize the podcast, right. To be able to influence and, and, and help people. Um, and that's what I want to spend, you know, the third chapter of my life, you know, doing, because that's so, it's so rewarding. Mm, love that. Now I, I love what you have as far as the outlook on everything and making the impact, giving back and, and really just pushing people to be better versions of themselves. So excited to continue watching your journey and seeing the impact that you have. Eric, where can people connect with you online, whether it's a website, social media links, combination of both? There is no one else named Eric Oberemt. So <laughs> you cannot miss me. Um, I think I, I'll be honest, like I'm not like all the social media stuff that goes out. It is generally my social media gal that puts it all out. So like, I don't even know my fucking handles. Yeah. Um, the only stuff that I put out is like the stuff that you see with me and my daughter, yeah. uh, you know, and like lifestyle stuff. But if you look up Oberemt, O-B-E-R-E-M-B-T on Facebook, Instagram, uh, you know, whatever the other platforms are. And then obviously be authentic or get the fuck out uh, is on YouTube, Apple, Spotify. Um, we are really pushing the YouTube side because Lexi, my videographer and producer, does an amazing job uh, producing that. We do all of our interviews to date. We're wrapping up season three right now and we have done every single interview in person. Love that. I haven't done, I haven't done one virtual interview yet um, on purpose mm -hmm. uh, just because I want to be able to sit in front of the other human and be able to have uncomfortable conversations if necessary mm -hmm. to get them to open up. And sometimes that's just, it, it's easy for me anywhere. Right. Cause I don't give a <laughs> shit, but so, but some people, but some people get a little bit nervous and it's easy to hide behind a screen yeah. a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. It is. Um, and it, and it's harder to push people to, to go a little further when you're on the other side of the screen. But when you're sitting right in front of somebody and you can actually connect with them, there, there's an energy, man, right? Like there's an energy and an aura when you're in a room together. Um, I, want, I, I, I love doing that so much. And I appreciate the fact that you said that you, you know, that you follow and, and, and you watch some of the stuff. I love doing that so much um, that I just, I want to take that to the next level. Mm. I want that to be taken to the next level and not because of me and not because of ego, but because of the messages that I get that are, dude, thank you. Right. Thank you. We do not talk about work mm -hmm. on my, on, on our show. Right. We talk about people and what makes them the people that they are and how they can help other people. And I've really found that it's, that it's been powerful. It wasn't even really the original intent of when I started it either. Mm -hmm. It kind of morphed, it kind of morphed into that. And that's been a really exciting journey that I don't want to, that I don't want to stop. 
I just realized I have no idea what the fucking question was that you asked me. And then that was just where I landed. So sorry about that. No, no you're, idea you're if good. I answered your question or not. I just went on a rant. I tend to do that. So you're good. Yes. You did yeah. answer the question. Yeah. I said, I said, okay, where can, pe- where can people find you online? So oh, we'll put all that stuff right, in the yes. show notes. Be authentic or get the fuck out. <laughs> yes. Okay. I did. I totally blanked. And I'm like, wait, what the fuck uh, question did he ask me? Okay. Sorry about that. No, you're good. We'll put that all in the show notes and get that all connected. So that way everybody can continue you to stay connected with you eric eric thank you so much for coming on the episode today man it was a great time and and loved getting to know you better appreciate you brother and i want to thank you again to the audience for tuning in to today's podcast please be sure to subscribe download and share our content leaving a five-star review goes a long way we'll see you all next week and remember entrepreneurs aren't born they are brewed I'm an entrepreneur, entrepreneurs who are born to prove. Thank you for listening to Entrepreneur Podcast with your host, Adam McChesney. Let's grow!